0: isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com smart.
1: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, to hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions changed their careers, what relationships influenced their work. The Vietnam War had ended, the AIDS epidemic had not yet begun, and a nightclub, one nightclub, will forever symbolize the glamour and debauchery of that time. If you managed to get through the doors of Studio 54, you'd find yourself among the biggest stars of the day. Warhol, Liza Minnelli, Halston, Cher, Mick Jagger, the Midtown Manhattan hotspot pulsed with sexual experimentation, drug culture, and yes, disco fever. My guest today, Ian Schrager, opened Studio 54 in 1977 with his then-partner, the late Steve Rubell. Before becoming a club owner, Schrager, a lawyer with little interest in practicing, searched for a business opportunity
2: close to home. You know, I didn't realize, you know, what a global capital New York City was. Uh, You know, to me, it was kind of, I lived in New York, it was very provincial. I grew up in Brooklyn, and... You know but i w well, well, what 's happened here is New York has kind of followed the lead that happened in london it 's become a world capital it 's a safe place. People from all over the world want to live here and 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 because of that i mean it 's made the real estate prices grow and it 's also made the hotel industry change when i When I first started in the industry, there were sixty thousand hotel rooms. Now there's almost a hundred thousand hotel rooms and, and I and I, I think it's just completely different. And I, I think what's so funny because everything is so cyclical is that, you know, I came from Brooklyn. My my dream was to come and be in Manhattan. Now everybody's in Manhattan, and everybody's oh, dream you, is to go get, back to Brooklyn. I mean,
1: it's. So, <laughs> did you did you ever predict that was possible? That I had no idea. You what had, I, had no idea. What I, and did you did you? I mean, I hate to use this kind of slang, but did you get in on that? Did you did you head out to Brooklyn and Queens no, in a I, timely way to develop? Did you develop? Company? I
2: totally missed it because I thought I left. I had never gone back. But I I. It, it, but you know, it's so funny the way these things happen. Every generation, that's what happened to Brooklyn. 150 years ago when more women started to go to go over there. It got too crowded here. It was too expensive here. People went to Brooklyn. It's happening again. And when you grew up, was your father in real estate? Was your father...
1: No. What did your father do? Coat, coat manufacturing He was in the clothing business. And did your parents live to see you become the success that you've become?
2: No, they didn't. They didn't. Exactly. That's something... I, you know, I really, it saddens me. They, they didn't get to see me successful. They also didn't get to see me go into Studio 54, which they would not have approved of. Right. Uh, they wanted a doctor. There's some other
1: things they wouldn't have approved exactly. of. <laughs> right,
2: exactly. Right, right. They wanted a doctor. They wanted a lawyer. But the one thing is, is I, you know, because they died so young, I didn't have an opportunity to give back. Like, you know, the same
1: with me, with my dad. My dad died when I was 25, and he was only 55. You know, he was very young when he died, so, so I didn't funny, have that yeah, chance. Like, I was
2: 19. My dad was 51. And he didn't get to see me become successful, which would have given him so much joy, which I'm sure the same thing with your dad. So you come out of Brooklyn, you went to Syracuse undergraduate or
1: undergrad and law? Undergrad. And where'd you go to law school? St. John's. So you go to St. John's Law School and you
2: you really don't want to be a lawyer? Didn't want to be a lawyer. You just were killing time. I didn't know what I wanted to do. How could you possibly know what you want to do when you were like 19 or 20 years old? I mean... You know, now I went to law school. I never worked. And then when law school was over, I said, you know, now what? First job I got was for uh, $14,000 a year, and I was filing papers.
1: As an associate in some law firm.
2: Exactly. How long did that last? How long were you in the— About three and a half years. You know, law is the kind of uh, profession that requires a lot of discipline, a lot of years. I got bored by it. So I went into the nightclub business. I read an interview
1: where you said— You were driving by and you saw people lined up out in front of a club and you thought, that looks like a good business to me.
2: Yeah, I mean— Do you remember what club? Le Jardin. Where where was that? It was on 43rd Street between um, 6th Avenue and Broadway. At that time, the whole social millennium was being set by gay clubs, not blacks the way it is now and the way it was before then, but then it was gay because everything was just emerging sexually. And if you had a, a successful gay club, you were trying to keep all the straight people out. Uh, Because once the straight people came, the gay people left. And that was one of the first clubs that I call a fusion club, that they're really—it was gay, and it had that kind of sexual electricity in the air that gay clubs had, but there was a lot of uh, straight people there, and and there were people waiting in lines, and all these straight people were being insulted and tried to be turned away because everybody just wanted to get in there. That was a business I wanted to get into because you were giving nothing, offering nothing, and people were paying to get in.
1: Now, for people— my generation, when I say your name, all you have to do is say uh, Ian and Steve, and people will know who the Steve is, but for those who don't know in our listening audience, uh, Steve Rubel, who was your—the late Steve Rubel, who was your partner. How did you hook up with him, and how did you meet him we, to we birth the were first club? We both born in Brooklyn. Club,
2: right? We were both born in Brooklyn in different— they they were adjacent neighborhood, but you know different school districts. We didn't know each other. Uh, Middle class Brooklyn. Uh, you know his his dad was a mailman, his mother was a teacher. We went up to school. He was a few years older than I. He was up in Syracuse, and we just became fast friends from the, from when we when we met. You know I left after four years. He stayed on because it was the Vietnam War. Everybody was trying to stay in school, and and he, when he ultimately came back to New York, uh, you know we. we we stayed friends, obviously, and 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 I represented him. He went into the steak business. That's when, like, for five dollars, you could have all the steak and beer you wanted. And he went into. Was steak. it a restaurant
1: he owned? Yeah.
2: What was it called? Steak Loft. Steak. <laughs> <It's> like unsuccessful, <laughs> undercapitalized. Steak for
1: people who want to go have steak in Soho. Exactly. Steak Loft.
2: And uh, so—and I represented him keeping the creditors' office back because he was undercapitalized. And then it was during that time that I saw, like, the the nightclub thing was just emerging uh, when it was kind of shifting away from, you know, going into a nightclub and trying to meet people and meet girls and it was pickup places and things like that it, it was kind of evolving into like a gay club kind of scene where it was serious sweaty dancing right. you know and 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 that's the kind of club that i liked but do you do you ever
1: i mean you're married you've got a young kid you're a super successful businessman do you ever stick your finger in the nightclub business now and see what it's like you know and how was it different? I, I,
2: well, you know there are certain things that never change fashions change, but there are kind of certain things that never change i you know i people always ask me to do nightclubs. I'm not interested. I have nothing new to offer I mean it's a young person's business. you know when I went into it, it was like a like a garage business it was like making music in a garage or inventing a technology company in a garage. now it's become big business. you need a lot of money to do a nightclub uh but I do them. I still do them when I think it'll have a positive impact on a hotel. You do. I'm doing. I'm doing a couple for the additions, but, but not big ones like right. I would studio two two 3,000 square feet, but still with dancing at the heart, right. sweaty, serious dancing. <laughs> what, 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 where? What's? Well, I'm one in Miami, which is like right. probably the nightclub capital in this country. Sure. And a couple of other places where I have the facility Vegas. with spectacular lighting effects. I have I, I, Vegas is not my competition. Not, you know, with spectacular lighting effects, and I, it, it still works. Like I remember Steve asking me when we did a play team, a at Second Night Club, people still like to dance. And I would say, of course, they like to dance. They've been dancing since Sodom and Gomorrah. You just have to kind of find what it is that kind of activates, you know, people and let them. You know, get loose and let their hair down. What were the other places that were
1: the top clubs then? You guys opened Palladium a couple of years later. I mean, I remember we that, were right? On Fourteenth Street.
2: When, when we opened up, um, uh, when we when we had Studio Fifty Four, there was a kind of uh, uh, there was a place called Xenon. Xenon with a knockoff. Uh, knockoff. There right. Was a knockoff.
1: Xenon was where you went because you couldn't get into Studio. Exactly.
2: That's. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Yeah, but but there were some some great, 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 great gay places, Flamingo, very creative, Twelve West. Uh, you did,
1: know. Did, now this is a cliche, obviously, but when the early eighties roll around, did AIDS kill that culture? Did
2: AIDS? Uh, it 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 didn't kill it, but it changed things because all of a sudden, you, before AIDS, you, there wasn't anything you couldn't do at night. And it was get much up more the next carefree. morning and walk away. Sure, it was carefree. It was different. Things, things, things were different. But, uh, but I think the nightclub business got killed, not because of AIDS, but but, but because I think government when they started to regulate it, it became so expensive to do a nightclub to comply with all the rules. I, I read rules.
1: where you said that, where a nightclub to open it up cost you tens of thousands of dollars, right. and now it might cost somebody a million bucks right. to do it. Well, because of why? Because of well, because fire of, you know, exits? Fire and...
2: exits and things like that. So all of a sudden, young people disenfranchised. I did my first nightclub for $27,000. You know, you didn't have to know anything. You didn't have to have a lot of money. It was like, you roll up the carpet, you put on a record player, and you have a nightclub. And it, that stopped. That kind of raw energy stopped it, that happened in rock and roll and it happened with technology too when apple kind of it in the garage it, it, so it changed the business evolved and so young people can't do it anymore and that's why now in the nightclub business nobody owns anything anymore they have promoters going around from clubs to clubs because it's just too expensive
1: when you and Rubel decided to go into business, what did you think he brought to the table and what did he think you brought to the table? Was it kind of a front of the house, back of the house battery? No,
2: it wasn't that simple. It's just like with a husband and a wife. Nobody really knows what goes on except the husband and the wife. We're 50-50 partners. You're not going to share 50% with someone that's not making a 50% contribution. Sure. You know, we, there they weren't mutual, exclusive fears of influence. I mean, he was more of the people person, and I was more of the creative person, you know, but, but like, for instance, I might be in the nightclub, and I would see, Steve, go get friendly with Halston over there, you know, and, and if I was wanting to do something, I would go to Steve, and he'd be, like, my instant one-man sample. My survey because he had had good instincts, uh, and 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 it, it, it's just so funny the division of responsibility happened naturally. You know, we we had a we had a our first nightclub was in Queens, which was about six months before Studio. It, it got killed by Son of Sam. I remember the first night we opened, Steve went to hang out with the kids at the bar in Queens, and I went up into the DJ booth to play with the lights. It just kind of happened. And, it played out. and that club was called what? Enchanted Garden,
1: and and then that died after the son of Sam. Yeah, it was hard to get
2: people to come into a nightclub when someone was out there killing right, you on
1: the streets and right. in parked cars. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you open up Studio, and you uh, were you married at the time when you no. went to your first wife? No. How soon after you not. Studio closed? Not for quite a while. Right. So you could live that life and not have to worry, right. but you were letting somebody down. Exactly. And crawling in the door at eight o'clock in the morning. So, so, it was long nights for you. You, you, you were in it. You weren't somebody who was turning to somebody and blowing them a kiss and saying, I'm going home, and you were in bed by 1 o'clock.
2: No, but you know, Steve used to say he stayed too long and I left too early. You know, what would really happen is I'd stay till one thirty, two o'clock till the night, two 2.30 sometimes, until the night turned the corner and I knew it was stable, and then I would grab somebody and go home. Now back this
1: Now, back then, is it safe to say another... Risk of businesses back then, with the credit cards, were not that big back in the late. No 70s. credit cards. It's a cash business, and ultimately, that was part of the problem. Was
2: that it was a cash uh, business? We didn't have any money. You know, there was a movie once was called the Brinks robbery, and after they robbed the truck and they were in the room, they're throwing the money up in the air. Was one of the scenes in the movie. That's the way it was with Steve and I. We, we didn't have any money. All of a sudden, we were the toast of the town, and all this money was coming in, and it was, it was, you know, like. You couldn't believe it, right? It wasn't we went in; it, it, we, it, we weren't motivated by the money. It was just a kind of byproduct, a kind well, I'm, of. Well, I'm trying.
1: Well, I'm trying to be generous here, insofar as that when you get yourself into trouble with taxes and so forth, it eventually led to some, you know, tough consequences. Was it? Did you find that that was more difficult back in the day when things weren't computerized and things weren't credit cards, and you had to handle that
2: much cash? We were the gang that couldn't shoot straight. You know, we were just. It was kind of very spontaneous and impulsive. Uh, it, was a, it was like a kind of silly, stupid thing. Everybody in the whole world knew what was going on. Sure. I mean, it was—, it was, it was, it was And you it weren't was. the only ones, I mean, obviously. Right. Well, I mean,
1: I, I know this has been brought up to you, ad infinitum, about going to prison. You're, you're there for 13 months,
2: and where did you go? Uh, We were in the MCC here for six months, and then we were in Montgomery, Alabama for six months. So you say we, who's we? Steve and I. So you got to see him pretty regularly. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, it's the worst. I mean, you know, we were the only one that were guilty. Nobody else in jail was guilty. Right, 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 right. Uh, it was, it was terrible. I mean, you know, like even, I mean, if, if I were to take you and put you in the grandest suite in the grandest hotel for a year and let you have room service, you'd still go. You nuts. Would hate it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, it's just you—you are You are robbed of your discretion as a human being. It's terrible. What got you through that? I mean, you're young, so you're still pretty tough. But what did you keep
1: telling yourself to keep yourself together?
2: You know, uh, uh, we would read a lot and dream a lot. It was a very, very tough thing. Being with Steve made it a little bit easier, you know. Someone who could understand. Yeah, I mean, and someone, I mean, when you're in there with a lot of psychopaths and and, and it's just it's just kind of difficult. Life is cheap and... You know, and and, and it, it was just a very difficult thing, and and you know, you, you you try and not let them rob you of your enthusiasm for life and your verve for life. You know, you know. and you succeeded at that.
1: Yes. So by the time you're ready to get out of there, by the time do, were you both released at the same time? Roughly, yes. Released
2: at, at the just, same
1: time. You were Released at the same time. went to
2: a halfway house here, and I think it was in, uh, on 79th Street or something, and on the West Side. And you were there for how long? Three months. And then you're free. Right, and when you and- <laughs> even then very tentative and very cautious, you know, very tentative, couldn't even open a bank account. It was kind of a reentry, mm-hmm. and and it's tough. So three months
1: you're out, uh, you're done with the halfway house. So what does the team of Schrager and Rubel? What's the
2: first thing that comes to mind? Try head next to a step? hotel. A hotel. W- why? Well, you know, when we were in jail, first of all, I was reading all these great books. You know you know david Appelstrom, you know the the best and the brightest and you know and and, and in, which was a kind of study of the rise of the media empire sure. and 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 in there a lot of those guys had interludes in their life the war and 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 after those interludes, they all did Game-changing switches in their lives, and went off in the different directions. Well, you know, Bill Paley decided to do CBS after the war, and the New York Times upped the, the ante, and so our little was forced. But 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 that's when when Harry Helmsley and 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 Donald Trump. Uh, The the newspapers were playing up this big rivalry. Uh, uh, Harry Helmsley was doing a hotel on 51st and Madison uh, that was called The Palace, and Donald was doing uh, one on, uh, on 42nd Street, and they were playing up the rivalry, and that kind of rivalry in the papers sucked me in, boy, and I said, well, we can do... A better hotel than than both of them. And
1: when you say better hotel, weren't you actually doing just a completely different hotel? Yeah, doing big. Are they still? Is it safe to say they're still doing the old style big They've white elephant the old hotels? Style, right? And I mean, you wanted we, to do we wanted to
2: a hotel we liked. We wanted to do a hotel that was that 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 it wasn't rocket science. It was just what kind of hotel. We did a club we liked. And 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 we wanted to do a hotel that manifested who we were, our popular culture, not my parents, but 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 what we liked. No rules. Start from scratch. And and, and the Morgan
1: was the first hotel. Right. And that was on what street?
2: Thirty eighth and uh, Madison.
1: And so when and, and, and why that property? Good start.
2: When we sold Studio Fifty Four, we took back promissory notes. You know we took a very meager down payment and promissory notes and we were helping the person run the clubs. we get a promissory note paid. Well he couldn't pay the promissory notes. So when he couldn't pay the promissory notes, we traded his promissory note for his interest in the hotel, which happened to be Morgan's. Oh. And so it was, so very, it was a
1: hotel before right. it wasn't like a private mansion or something. Right. It was a hotel no.
2: before. What had it been before it was a hotel? It was a dump. It was called an executive hotel. Right. And it was a dumpy hotel, a rooming house, you know, with you know, in a kind of very How many floors? Uh fourteen. Right. And you took it over and you just hand grenade the whole thing and redid the whole thing? We 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 didn't bang on the walls. Uh, because once you start doing that in an old building, you can't have a definitive budget. So, you know, the rooms are very small. So we took the rooms the way we found them, and we tried to have good design come up with solutions. And we did a lot, a lot of tricks. You know, we made the furniture low. We scaled the furniture down 10% to make the room feel bigger, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a natural hit. Light's the Way Studio was a natural hit. It just it resonated with people from day one. And w- w- Now, before you
1: access the crowd? I mean, you and Rubel owning a nightclub in Queens did not give you access to the crowd that came to the studio. So how did you access that crowd? Who got who to come?
2: You know, it's kind of a two-pronged approach. We hired a couple of party promoters and then Steve went out to conquer the town. He was a kind of very people oriented person when you talk to him you thought you were the only person in the world and et cetera and et cetera and so a a, a few months before you know Steve would do that he'd go to this restaurant and that restaurant and this and and meet these people and he was kind of entertaining and fun and so on and so forth and that gave us a platform then the next thing was is that you do a great place and a great product and if it's really really cool people come don't tell me how they come to Tom Tom -tom 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 from beat out there they and they beat the door to get to it. And then we had a bunch of parties um, with the right people. You know, like I remember one time, uh, you know, somebody had called. We had opened up the place, and it was nothing like it in, in New York at the time. And and, and, and somebody called up, and, and Halston wanted to have a party for Bianca. It was on Monday night when we were ordinarily dark, and we, we, we opened up for that night, and there were more celebrities. There were about 40 or 50 people, like... <laughs> We were like,
1: you know, yeah, the everywhere Oscars. you
2: look, right. from Mick Jagger and Jack Ombissette, all the movie people. I mean, in the, and and we had a, a, a naked woman. We painted her like Lady Godiva, put her on a white horse to come out and, and give Bianca <laughs> a birthday cake. That picture went all over the world.
1: This reminds me of a quote you had. I always used to like the Halloween parties, you said in, a, in an interview. It was the one night that anybody could get into Studio 54. You just had to come up with a great costume, and you were in. You could not believe some of the things that people would wear. I remember doing a party inspired by the artist Bosch, with midgets eating Cornish game hens and walking in on a floor full of white mice lit with ultraviolet light. It was just anything goes. Mayhem, you said. Now that picture... Of mice, lit files. Old... So, in other words, it was anything,
2: goes. Really? Whatever your imagination could think of. That's the great part of the nightclub business when we did it. It, it, it wasn't constrained, and, and you could work in any discipline film, music, theater, fashion. It was like wide open when we were in it. Above the
1: dance floor at Studio 54 hung a giant sculpture of the man in the moon with an animated cocaine spoon that glided down to the moon's nose. Take a listen to more conversations in our archives with other longtime New Yorkers like the late Elaine Stritch.
3: About a month ago, I really said, I want out of here. I want out of New York. I shouldn't live in New York anymore. It's not for me anymore. It's too fast for me or... No, it's not too fast. Then I changed my mind about that. It's not this, it's not that. It's just not for me.
1: Take a listen at thing.org. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care... Carrie Yuma knows fast fashions not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Akka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation. Find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors. Right now, there's 15% off at cariuma.com slash
3: alec.
1: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My guest Ian Schrager's current life hardly resembles his days and nights at Studio 54. Schrager is one of the most important hotelier and real estate developers in New York today. He and his second wife have a four-year-old boy... He has two daughters from his previous marriage, and he prefers to spend his nights at home with his family. Life is calmer, but it's not as if Schrager is slowing down.
2: I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. You know, I, I, you know, the, somebody sent me an interesting article on Giorgio Armani. The guy's 80 years old, so incredibly wealthy, still out there working every single day. Clint Eastwood... Eighty-three or eighty-four years Still old. Still movies. You, you know, I mean, better becoming more and more and more of a serious, serious filmmaker. Why? It's not about the money. It's because you love it. It's the way you express yourself, and you just truly, really love it. I feel the same way. I love what I do. It never was about the money, and and it's putting my name on something and doing something to but make. You had
1: no interest in another creative field,
2: fashion. No, home decor. Maybe film.
1: Film. Or theater. Seriously. So you would want to make a film?
2: When Julian Schnabel did that film, The the Diving Bell... Diving Bell uh, and the Butterfly. And he had no knowledge, no schooling, no anything, just a really, really creative guy. Uh, uh, To go into that and do it with such credibility and do a real film which had made me want to work with him to do a hotel because it made me convinced how talented he was. I, I could see what I do in the hotels and what I've done in nightclubs and putting things together. And, you know, I could see that kind of methodology working in the film business or the theater business. So
1: after the Morgan, you do... Royalton. Royalton. So you're on 46th, 47? 47th? 44th. Do things start to get easier?
2: No, the investors' capital, Because they do what? Because each, each time you have to up the ante. I mean, we 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 did Morgan's. It was really a big hit. Everyone in the industry took note. Uh, uh, everyone came to buy it from us and said, you better sell it because somebody's just going to copy you and, and do it better, and somebody's going to go into the business, doesn't care about making money, spend more money than you. So the challenge for doing Royalton was to do a hotel that had a different personality, Not one that merely looked differently, but one that attracted a different kind of person because it had a different feel, a different vibe. So Morgan's was a kind of quiet, understated, introverted hotel, no lobby. You went in there quietly, you went up to your room. Royalton was the opposite, a big extrovert, a scene, you're in the lobby, C&B scene, so on and so forth, so I gave people a choice. You could stay here, you could stay there. It, 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 choosing a hotel because the personality was different, and i mean, that because it looked different so after you do the
1: Morgan, and people come to you as you just said, and they say you better sell this because someone's going to copy it and do it better. Do you find now that people are taking you seriously because they are trying to
2: squeeze just you and they recently. are trying to? Just recently, just recently, just recently, you know when when W came out. Up until then, it was still thought of that only people who wear black and live in Soho come to my hotels. Right. It wasn't until W came out, you know, whenever that was was a while ago, that it gave real credibility, hey, this is a real idea. Now— there isn't a hotel company in the world that doesn't want to do a boutique hotel. It, it's the fastest growing segment. There are thousands and thousands of versions all over, but it was treated with absolute skepticism and, and dismissively by, because by, um, you know why? They couldn't, they couldn't put it in a the box. They couldn't understand what it was. Uh, uh, so do
1: you find that that major hotel companies not only want you cuz you're doing additions now is that with Marriott? Yes. And that the, you're partnering with Marriott to yes. do this addition series. It's, it's a style of hotel you're going to do with them. Do you find now would that that you wouldn't call that a boutique
2: hotel? I I would. You would. You know like to me I you know because it's so over. you, Steve is the one that came up with the name boutique by the way. Right. Because we were in New York, the fashion business is probably the central, most important business here, and. Uh, and when he was trying to explain to people what we were trying to do, he said, look, all the other hotels are like department stores. They try and be all things to all people that's kind of generic. We have a specific thing to say. We're very specific, have a specific attitude. We're like a boutique. And that was the invention and the use of that name, which we've lost ownership of. It's become part uh, of the English language. But Steve really was the first one to use that when he tried to—when to, when, to, to when we were promoting mortgage and we were trying to explain to people what we were trying to do. So is Marriott trying to take Marriott
1: properties and make them more like a boutique hotel? Or are they buying other properties that are boutique
2: hotels and putting the Marriott label on them? Both. both? They're doing both. What Marriott realized is that this lifestyle hotel, this space, is the future of the business, that people are not going to choose a hotel because of its location or price point or because of its loyalty point, but they're going to choose a hotel because the experience is unique and elevated. It feels. Exactly. It feels. And so they're getting into that business, and I kind of felt that with everyone in the world rushing into the boutique space. It was a little less interesting for me. So I'm going to team up with a big guy and do a lot of them. Then I have, have my own brand, Public, which is a, a less expensive, highly stylized hotel, but a real value proposition, which I think is always a cool idea. You know, because I always think people, no matter how much money they have, they get it when something's, something's cool.
1: Now, in the world of boutique hotels, have there been people who've come to you and said, Ian Schrager, we want you to design a hotel for us, and they wanted to have something insane, you know, like... Peacocks, you know, I handing you your that. towels. No.
2: Couldn't do it. I mean, I, I, you know, to me, I think that um, having Have you seen some hotels taste, like that? Yes.
1: That you thought this is just they're crazy? They're not
2: my kind of thing, and I don't think they're really for sophisticated people. It, uh, I think That's it, more
1: Vegas. Y- yeah. Pretty glitzy. I
2: mean, over-the-top kind of stuff. I, I I, don't think more. I think less is not only more. I think it better. And I think it's a little bit like a writer. If you have time, you can edit it and bear it down. And I think it's more powerful. And I think that that, that people who have good taste today, rather than money, because so many people have it, is really a status tempo. Sure. You know, Leonardo da Vinci says simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I, I believe that, and I have I have confidence in, in in the people that that if it's simple and well done, they they kind of get it, and you don't have to hit them over the head with marble and gold.
1: Have you had people come to you and ask you to design private homes for them? Yes, you have, and you'd never, you'd never gotten, you never you never got near.
2: You know, I would do it if I was selling the home in, right. in one of the condos. And there was some, you know, something, some kind of financial benefit for me and my partner. I, but, you know, look, I enjoy all of the benefits that come with the money. But you can't do what I do for money. I'm sure you can't do what you do for money. It's a benefit, but it's, it's not your
1: driving force. Well, well, so to go from the nightclub business to the hotel business, two different businesses, obviously. And then is it, this, is it another transition to go into the condominium business and the real estate development?
2: They're similar? all very related. In the nightclub business, your primary goal, if you really strip it down, you know, uh, of all the smoke screens. Uh, you, the nightclub business, your primary goal is to look at the people and make sure people have fun. Elevate the experience. Make them comfortable. Same go in the hotel business. Same go in the condominium <laughs> business. You know, and so there is a common denominator. There are differences in it. You know, like the people that work in the nightclub business, most of the time they look like vampires in the day. Right. The, you know, most of the time they can't cut it during the day. There are differences, but there are many, many more similarities. That's why they're all called hospitality businesses because it's 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 looking after people. how has New York changed totally different i you know like to me i you know there was two there are two new yorks there's one downtown and there's one uptown uh you know I think the real New York is downtown it's not about the restaurants or anything like that it's just that it feels more like a village down there uptown it's kind of anonymous it It's like the there's subject. a hostility there. It's no different than London except the architecture is different. I, it, it doesn't have a personality to me. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I think w- we, we've had a real dichotomy now between uptown and downtown. You know, w- w- in the 70s and 80s when we were bumping around, you know, downtown was really where you went out to hang out and have fun. Hmm. It, 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 it's not like that now. And then now you live down there. It's, it's, it's a different city. And I think New Yorkers, most of the time, New Yorkers don't live uptown. There are foreigners. You know, Rem Koolhaas, the, the great sure. architect, says to me, good people don't live in London. It's only foreigners who live, who, who live there. I think that's happening, you know, now with New York. I think if you want to see the way New York is, you just look at London because it's on that same continuum. I mean, obviously, there's
1: there's benefits to both. But you know, I, I lived up there for 25 years.
2: I did, and, too. I lived up there. I used to say, uh, you know, I live uptown. I go downtown to a restaurant. You lived on the park. No, I lived on the park a while, but, you know, I didn't have money all the time enough to live there. You know, I lived on the Upper East Side, then I moved to the West Side, and I moved back to the East Side, and then I eventually, you know— What's you know, the longest you've ever lived one place? <laughs> uh, now. I, I'm, I'm, I've been living in the same apartment now for 10 years. Is it getting antsy?
1: Do you like to move? Well, I'm you doing like a new change? project,
2: so we may move. Right. My kids are leaving for school,
1: and— One question I want to ask you is, were you close with your dad? Very. And he died when you were how old? 19. You were 19. Were you closer through Bell? Yes. Where were you when he died? Uh, by his bed. You were. So you were still that close, right to the
2: end. You were best friends with him. And you were there. Yeah, we, he, he, we took him to the hospital. We watched the monitor numbers sink. Right.
1: Terrible. Right. And then your dad, not in your life, and your partner, gone. He died in 19... 19- um, Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Who's been your mentor, or who's been your trusted advisor for the last twenty five years?
2: You know, by myself now. Uh, you know, I have my wife. You know, and I have some good friends. But, you know, the, it, 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 it's a loss when you're by yourself. You know, it's good to have somebody to bounce things off of it. It keeps your moral compass straight. It it, 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 it almost operates like a conscience. You know, it, it, it's tough. You know, I'm, I'm by myself now. You
1: don't, you don't have a partner who's someone you consult? You, you don't have, I have a,
2: friends that I ask questions of. But, but no one replaced have. Rebel? No. Really? Never have a friend or a partner like that. Really? Lucky to have that.
1: Um... You're married now, and you've been married to, to your, your current wife for how long? Eight
2: years. You've been with her for eight
1: years, and you have a five-year-old child. Almost. Almost five. A boy. Right, you have a boy.
2: <laughs> Finally.
1: <laughs> you have two girls from your— And she has two girls. You know, girls. you and I are the same. Really? I've got a girl, and then I had a girl, and now I'm having a boy. In July, well, what a pleasure! So, tell me, well, what's it been like? What's it like having a son? Oh, it's when, been... when we're definitely in the in the in the ninth... though, I'm sure you know that we're, we're in the, the girls... seventh inning here.
2: We're with a girl. Everything's too tight, too low, too much, too everything. It's it just it, I used to think when I used to go to kindergarten and the nursery school, and all the boys would be bouncing off the wall, and I'd be with my girl. She'd be sitting at the desk with an desk, boy, I got a maiden in the shade, but it reverses. <laughs> The boy is—I I identify. We wrestle. I don't know whether it's my where, where I am in life, my age. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I don't love him more than my daughters. No, but it's we just have a special a bond throw. with I, him, right? It's just the most. What's he ever, into? What's he like to do? Wrestle, soccer, you know, uh, soldiers, tanks, superheroes. You know, I can kind of relate swords. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. My son comes into my bedroom sometimes with a sword To <laughs> me and a sword for him. <laughs>
1: In the morning, the first thing in the morning. Here is your sword. I present My you weapon. with your. Here's your weapon, and 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 what's it like for you in your work and the and the balance of it?
2: Is it different for you now? I got the balance now finally. Unfortunately, it took me this long to figure it out. You know, I gave up a lot for the work. You know, uh, it was very, very important to me, and, and I and I kind of didn't have the capacity or the time. And so, to me, you know, I work very hard, but you know, I, I I don't work past four, or five o'clock. I don't work on the weekends. I take vacations. I when I come home, I'm, I play with my family. I think the secret is in balance. I think if you're going to really be happy, you need everything. You need a good wife. You need a good work. You need a good family. You need a good hobby. You need a good friend, You need it all.
1: Ian Schrager's attempt to have it all appears to be working. This month, he'll open his fourth boutique hotel, this time in partnership with Marriott. You can visit the New York Edition Hotel on Madison Avenue, a short walk from Schrager's very first hotel, Morgan's. This is Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Here's the Thing.
3: September 10th, 2001, one block from the World Trade Center. Security cameras capture the last known images of Dr. Sneha and Philip shopping. At 7, 18 p.m., she swipes a credit card, grabs her bags, and exits onto the street, into the rain. She never comes home. The next day... We just had a, a plane into of the World Trade Center. ...chaos. Thousands disappear. But Sneha is different. There is not a trace of her. Nothing. Listen to Missing on 9-11 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.